Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Fair's Moving Markets podcast. It's Tuesday, the 16th of January, and my name is Helen Freer. I'll be talking, first of all, this morning to Bernadette Anderko about all the latest market news. Then my colleague Hannah Wise is going to tell us about the upcoming webcast on Thursday on our market outlook for 2024. And Manuel Villegas is also back on the podcast this morning. So I'll be getting his latest thoughts on digital assets, particularly after the approval of the spot Bitcoin ETFs in the US that we saw last week. But let's start with a roundup of the latest market news. Good morning, Bernadette. Good morning, Helen. So with the US closed for Martin Luther King Day yesterday, what news do you have for us from other markets? Yeah, well, I'm afraid it's a somewhat uh, depressing looking at yesterday's closing equity market levels across the board, I'm afraid, Helen. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, the US was obviously shut for Martin Luther King Day. So we had nothing positive coming out of the region to drive European or Asian markets. And in fact, the main news out of the States was that Donald Trump decisively won the Iowa Republican presidential caucus, uh, with Ron DeSantis finishing a distant second. Mr. Trump is now the clear frontrunner to become the Republican candidate. Um, US stock futures were lower last night, as Wall Street also awaits December retail sales data due tomorrow and bank earnings that will uh, help to provide a better picture of the state of the American consumer. OK, um, how did things look in Europe then? Yeah, markets in Europe were mainly focused on what's going on in Davos, uh, where artificial intelligence seemed to be the topic of the day. And obviously, we had these hawkish comments from the European Central Bank's governing council member, Robert Holtzman. He's also the governor of Austria's central bank. His comments pushed back against bets on early and extensive rate cuts in the Eurozone. He was interviewed by CNBC, and he said that it's too early to talk about rate cuts and that he may even foresee no cut at all this year. You just mentioned Davos there. Anything else to report from the WEF so far? Yeah, well, I think the the buzz of helicopters uh, above Zurich at the moment is a sign that uh, other important visitors are in town for the forum, uh, with some doing business with the Swiss government en route. We had the uh, surprise of Ukraine's President Zelensky appearing in the parliament here in Bern yesterday, requesting that uh, Switzerland holds peace talks, uh, which the Swiss president, Viola Amherd, has agreed to do. Uh, The Chinese premier, Li Chang, was also visiting the Swiss capital. In case you didn't already know it, China is Switzerland's third biggest trading partner after the United States and the European Union. And yesterday, the two countries signed a joint declaration agreeing to deepen their partnership. Uh, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, the US National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and uh, President Zelensky are all set to make appearances in Davos today. Okay, um, looking at today then, how have Asian markets fared overnight and this morning? Yeah, well, in Asia, we saw the US dollar climbing towards a one-month high as Treasury yields rose, but Asia-Pacific stock markets fell overnight. Hong Kong's Hang Seng led the group as uh, property sector funding plans hurt bank shares, Uh, but even Japanese stocks halted their record-breaking rally since the start of the year. Uh, So the detail there, Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index shed 2.01% at one stage, um, and the Nikkei 225 dropped 0.5% after Japan's December corporate goods price index came in flat year on year. That was compared with a 0.3% fall expected by economists. And the CGPI climbed 0.3% month on month, and that was also compared with estimates of it remaining flat. Uh, The broad-based topics fell 0.6%. But this uh, Japanese data still needs to be seen in context, Helen. Uh, Japanese stocks are still at highs not seen since the 1980s. Okay. um, Of course, the Red Sea is still making headlines for all the wrong reasons. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, yesterday, a US-owned commercial vessel called the Gibraltar Eagle uh, was the latest ship to be struck by the Houthi militants. Um, the continued attacks there are leading to vessels having to change their routes, which has led to a spike in freight rates. Uh, these now longer detours around the Cape of Good Hope have pushed ocean freight rates up by $10,000 per 40-foot container as these ships have diverted more than $200 billion worth of goods away from the Red Sea. Um, this is important because the global shipping industry has been in the doldrums because of high inventories and consumer spending pullback. And that resulted in several bankruptcies in 2023. Uh, CNBC reports that before the Red Sea attacks, global shipping container rates had more than halved from 2022. So these recent spikes in freight rates might not help shippers to return to the glory days, but they could provide a much needed boost to profitability. I guess we'll have to wait and see there then. Now, looking at what's coming up, you mentioned retail sales data earlier. Do we have any other data we should be looking out for? Uh, quite a lot actually coming out tomorrow, Helen. We'll have uh, Chinese uh, Q4 economic growth, uh, UK December inflation there. CPI is expected to fall to 3.8% year on year. US Fed Beige Book is expected to show an improvement in economic sentiment. And yes, uh, that US retail sales number for December that I mentioned earlier, that's expected to rise around 0.4% month on month. So all that data coming out tomorrow. Right. Uh, with everything that's going on then, how are we expecting markets to open today? Well, uh, traders are now looking to Federal Reserve Governor Chris Wallace's speech later today to see whether there'll be more pushback against bets of a rate cut in March. Um, and investors might be wondering what to expect now. So I thought I'd just remind our listeners of the stance from our research analysts that uh, they say that whilst the latest US inflation data does have many people wondering what all this means for the path of future Fed rate cuts, we are actually seeing no reason to change our view. So our economists believe that if we remove the stickier inflation components uh, like housing, Inflation is on the right path. And of course, incoming data is going to remain volatile. So the Fed might be inclined to take its time. But our baseline scenario of a first rate cut in May remains unchanged. And just for those disappointed by Holtzman's comments in Davos yesterday, we're already seeing headlines today that Portugal's central bank governor, Mario Centeno, believes that the eurozone inflation is moving in the right direction. And he reminded the conference goers that we target medium term inflation. We don't target February inflation. And the trajectory is very positive right now. So uh, with that said, Helen, I'm just taking a quick look at the futures boards. Um, and I'm afraid they're looking rather red for the day ahead. So good luck out there, everybody. That's it from me, Helen. Excellent. Thank you very much, Bernadette, for the great roundup this morning. Thanks for having me on. Now, Hannah, thank you for joining us this morning as well. Good morning, firstly. Hi there, Helen. So our Market Outlook 2024 webcast is coming up this Thursday. Can you give us maybe a quick teaser? Who do you have on the webcast and what topics are you going to be covering? Well, the market outlook, Helen, as you know, is kind of the flagship from most banks around this time of year as they look ahead and bring together all the most important research uh, and put it together, all the trends and things that investors should look out for for the new year. Now, our uh, market outlook is termed the start of a new cycle. And, and while unfortunately markets don't usually coincide with a new year, it does look like 2024 
is looking slightly more predictable. And there are three main things that are going on, as Bernadette just said. First of all, inflation is slowly easing. It has been for a while. And yes, in the shorter term, there might be some blips. But overall, that looks like it's slowing down. Now, this slowing inflation means that central banks will have to start thinking about cutting their rates. And thirdly, it's all about growth. You know, it's still slow out there, but there is a brighter growth outlook on the horizon for the end of 2024 into 2025 and beyond. Now, I know you have already covered a little bit about what to do in general terms. Matthew Ratchiter has been on the programme last week, I believe, on Friday, and you've got Dario Messi looking at fixed income on Wednesday. So stay tuned to that for more information. But of course, a brighter and more predictable outlook doesn't mean that the coast is clear and it's plain sailing from here on out. There are many, many challenges that could come our way in 2024 from China's property sector troubles and domestic growth issues. We've, of course, got the US election, which really got underway uh, in earnest this week. We've got geopolitical tensions to think about, Argentina, China, Taiwan, and of course, the ongoing situation in Ukraine and the war in the Middle East. So, what are we going to do about it? Well, we've got two really great speakers, Helen, to join us. Marco Papich is the chief strategist from Clock Tower, which is an alternative investment asset manager, working closely with Julius Baer. He has some great insights, particularly on the geopolitical landscape out there right now. And of course, we'll also be joined by our head of research, Christian Gattica. So he'll be on hand to kind of put everything into context from their research perspective uh, with regards to how investors should position themselves for the year ahead. And of course, you can always ask questions, which is what I love about our uh, webcast, that anybody can write in and we get the questions straight into the studio so we can put them straight to our experts. Okay, uh, sounds great. On the logistics then, how can those interested listen in? All right. Well, the webcast is live on Thursday, the 18th of January at 10 o'clock in the morning. That's Central European time. Um, and in order to sign up for it, you need to head to the Julius Bear LinkedIn page where there are plenty of links for you to follow to sign up and get reminders and join us. Uh, it's probably, I think, very likely going to be quite a, a lively discussion, Helen. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. So that is this Thursday at 10 a.m. Uh, Central European time. Thanks very much, Hannah, for joining us on the podcast this morning. Thank you. And last but not least, Manuel, welcome back and good morning, firstly. Morning, Helen. So we've had a couple of people on the podcast talking about the SEC's approval of the Spot Bitcoin ETFs last week. Would be great to get your thoughts on it, though, as well. What have you seen in the market since these ETFs were approved? Yes. So Bitcoin's fundamental backdrop remains sound. The ongoing fee wars reflect the low levels of differentiation we have in the approved cohort of exchange-traded funds. And the benefits of increased competition for investors, which can be seen by the new average fees this cohort has, which stands at around 20 basis points, which is a highly attractive positioning, is way lower than what we have on average in Europe and what the legacy products we're offering in the US, either on a closed-end fund basis or on an open-end fund basis with a futures underlying. And these low costs have actually brought in new inflows, even though most of the flows coming were from the more expensive legacy products. 
that in the past had either some problems with their underlying structures, they had a, a redemption and issuance problem, they were also having a problem staying close to the net asset value, and on the future side, their underperformance was coming across because of the carry costs for rolling over these contracts. At the same time, let's not forget that last year's performance divergence between these open and closed-end funds in the U.S. and the spot prices was highly relevant. We had an overperformance for one of these categories for around 350% and an underperformance of around 30% for the other one. So as I said before, most of the volume has been due to most investors switching between funds. At the same time, the underlying structure of this new ETF cohort, which is in cash, makes it slightly more expensive than the previously desired in-kind structure that the asset managers wanted, which could potentially bring more volatility in the short term to the markets because authorized participants have to essentially do the market making for these ETFs. What should investors expect now then in the next few months? So supply is still highly constrained due to the low liquidity, the very high accumulation figures we've been continuously talking about for the past year and a half, and the upcoming Bitcoin halving in April. But I want to focus the attention on Ethereum that has been the only one that has rallied since the news came out and has actually maintained the rally. So the main reason for this rally has been speculation for an approval of Ethereum spot ETFs in May. We have some filings from asset managers since uh, the last half of last year. Let's remind ourselves that, first off, underlying network activity remains rather soft. So this has been mainly due to speculation on a potential approval of ETFs in May. Even though some niche areas have considerably improved on a year-over-year basis, such as tokenization of real-world assets, particularly that of U.S. treasuries. And this has been championed by some of the same asset managers that have big filings for the ETFs. That said, and this is the most important point, Ethereum status remains in the gray area between a commodity and a security in the U.S. So the SEC has never said that Ethereum is not a commodity, but it has it has also never said that Ethereum is actually a security. And it's it's for ourselves to think about it. So Ethereum qualifies as an investment of money in a common enterprise with the expectations of profit derived from the efforts of others. And it's actually coming across from the how we test, which was the precedent to define if an asset was a commodity or a security back in the 1940s. The problem is that Ethereum has a burning mechanism. So the value of Ethereum is contingent on the usage of the network. So this this has some food for thought for the House of Financial Services, the CFTC, and the SEC moving forward. That said, for Bitcoin, the upcoming halving expected in in the second quarter of this year likely the end of April, will impose further constraints on a highly compromised supply. Bitcoin liquidity will be dented, for sure, and slippage and broad order spreads should be expected. And that's all from my end, Helen. Excellent. Thank you very much, Manuel. 
So that is it for today. Thank you again to my guests this morning and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. And do join us again tomorrow when Bernadette Andeka will be your host and she'll be speaking to more of our colleagues about what is moving markets, including Dario Messi, as we mentioned earlier, on the fixed income outlook for 2024. And Matthew Rashto will also join Bernadette to provide an update on the earnings season so far. Have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Beyond Markets is a weekly podcast where Julius Baer experts and external speakers discuss some of the latest market developments. They share their key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape and present practical advice. Search for Beyond Markets on your favourite podcast player.